Hello and welcome to the Chingsy Sports Presents the Premier League Show. We are back again for episode 26. Firstly, for the Adu segment, I just want to congratulate Qatar after they won their second consecutive Asian Cup in which they hosted. And also congratulations to the 2024 AFCON hosts and winners Ivory Coast, Côte d'Ivoire, who won their third African Cup of Nations title. Both outfits were probably fifth or sixth favourites to triumph in their respective tournaments that they hosted. Anyways, without any further ado, we go straight into last weekend's opening fixture, which was between Manchester City and Everton. Man City were made to hot. Ugh. Manchester City were made to work hard for their 13th win from the last 14 and the 10th win in a row in all competitions. They have since beaten FC Copenhagen in the Champions League last 16 to make it 11 from 11. Everton were dogged and determined and held Man City for 17 minutes before Erling Haaland got on the score sheet to bag a brace which sent City to the top of the Premier League table momentarily for a few hours. His first goal was a thunderous strike with his weaker right foot after the ball fortuitously fell into his path from a corner kick and his second came from a counter-attack after Everton, who were forced to open up as they pressed for an elusive equaliser, were punished. After Haaland brushed aside 21-year-old Carlisle-born Jared Bramfrey, who we spoke about on last week's podcast, before the Norwegian hitman calmly slotted the ball past Everton stopper Jordan Pickford. Everton are now winless in seven Premier League games and only have a solitary win in their last 11 matches in all competitions, which was against Monday's opponents, Crystal Palace, who they face off with in a crunch, must-win relegation six-pointer. Okay, Straight into the second game, which was a 3 o'clock kickoff between Wolves and Brentford. Thomas Frank's Brentford side grabbed an impressive coupon bust of a result against the Wolves side, who the previous week had just beaten Chelsea 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. Even more impressive is they managed to do so with a mere 30% possession. Brentford took a well-deserved lead from yet another set-piece, through Danish midfielder Christian Norgard to take a 1-0 lead going into half-time. Wolves, poor throughout, thought they'd equalised through Craig Dawson, but the goal was ruled out for offside. With Brentford defending resolutely, they held out and grabbed the crucial second with their talisman Ivan Tony scoring his third goal in four games since his return to action from his ban. The Bees, with, with that win, are now six points clear of 18th place Everton with a game in hand. So that was a vital win for Brentford, who are in the midst of a tough run of fixtures. And yeah, that gives the cushion, that gives them a little buffer over their relegation rivals. Okay, following that was another three o'clock kickoff at Craven Cottage between Fulham and Brent Bournemouth. That ended 3-1 to Fulham. Um, it took Fulham only five minutes to punish Bournemouth after a woeful defensive slip from Lewis Cook allowed and enabled 31-year-old Jamaica international, here goes, Bobby Decodeva-Reed to open the scoring for the Cottagers. I finally got his name right. I butchered it last week, if you remember. Willian, 
who was as excellent as he has been throughout his Fulham spell, crossed in a dangerous cross, which Dekodeva Reed headed in for Munoz to pounce home. It appears the better Bobby does, the more practice I get in pronouncing his name. I've said it about three times today. With Bournemouth down 2-0 at the break and seemingly out of contention, just five minutes into the second half, a left-footed in-swinger from Marcus Tavernier, whose brother James plays for Rangers, I believe captains decide, was... His Yeah, so his cross wasn't cleared away from the Fulham defence. So it was their turn to defend poorly, only for Bournemouth's Argentine defender, Marcos Senesi, to halve the deficit. Game on! Well, it was for a mere two minutes before Willian, who is definitely, definitely Fulham's best player, put in a fantastically inviting ball into the box for his compatriot, Rodrigo Moniz, to bag what was his second goal of the match and the last goal of the game. That puts him free on free and free. These two sides are well matched and it's little wonder that the pair are landlocked in mid-table in 12th and 13th position respectively with neither likely to go down or qualify for European competition. Okay, another three o'clock kickoff was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium between Tottenham Hotspur and Brighton Hove Albion. That ended 2-1 to the home side. In opening embers of the match, anyone from Brighton, don't let that go over your head. Feel free to Google it. Uh, Welbeck rolling back the years causes ha caused sheer havoc to the Spurs' defence. His link-up play with Facundo Bonanote brought about a penalty following a rash challenge from Mickey van der Ven. Upstep the ever-so-reliable and un underrated Pascal Gross, who buried the ensuing penalty into the back of the net, which gave Brighton a much-deserved 1-0 lead going into half-time. Ange Postacoglu's Spurs side unbeaten in their last five league games since these two last met, so Brighton were the last team to beat Spurs in the league, were played off the park unceremoniously. Both keepers, Jason Steele and Vicario, made a string of saves, but it took until just after the half-an-hour mark so just after the half, just after the hour mark for Tottenham to equalise in the 61st minute. The nature of the goal was lucky as Pape Matassar's effort came off of Lewis Dunk and ricocheted off of the post, only to fall right into the former's path again. And this time, the Senegalese midfielder didn't need two bites at the cherry. 1-1. Spurs manager Ange Postacoglu didn't rest on his laurels and rolled the dice. After that, equaliser. And sensing the momentum shift, made a triple substitution of Brennan Johnson, Ibusuma and Hongmin Song, whose Spurs will be delighted to have back to supplement the front line and inform striker Richarlison. Deep into stoppage time, Welsh forward Brennan Johnson buried a defence-splitting pass from Spurs and South Korea captain Son to complete a smash and grab victory for the North Londoners as the Lily Whites ran out 2-1 victors. Following that was another three o'clock kickoff, this time between Liverpool and Burnley. It ended 3-1 to the Reds, with Liverpool missing their bona fide first team stalwarts, Alisson, Ibrahim, Ibrahima Kanate, Dominic Shobrishlai and Mohamed Salah. 
Jurgen Klopp had little option but to shuffle his pack of cards. With Kuvin Kelahar, Gerald Kwanzaa and Wataru Endo, or Endo all, coming on, all coming in for those three. If Burnley were going to pull off the mother of all shocks, then the time to pounce was now. Diogo Jota, listed as being between 5'9 and 5'10, is as deadly as they come in the air. And as he is in the box, leapt highest to convert Trent Alexander-Arnold's perfect corner kick to put Liverpool 1-0 up after just half an hour. With Manchester City in top spot at that point, um, it was the onus was on Liverpool to respond, and they did. It looked like they were doing so anyway at that point. Cue another goal from a corner, this time from Burnley, who equalised after Dara O'Shea, the Irish international, Republic of Ireland international, leapt like a salmon to score one of the best headers you will ever see. Which meant Burnley went into the break at 1-1 and it was nothing less than they deserved. At half-time, Jurgen Klopp's bold and cavalier move to bring in bring on Harvey Elliott, a midfielder for the injured Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's now out for a month, proved a masterstroke as the former Fulham man tore through the heart of Burnley's defence and squared for Luis Diaz to score. The Colombian is now becoming a specialist in scoring scrappy goals, adding to his ever-so-growing repertoire. Harvey Elliott instrumental in Liverpool's second goal, the one I just mentioned, was at it again as he crossed in for Darwin Nunes to make it 3-1, meaning that all three of Liverpool's forwards were now on the scoreboard. Burnley were made to pay for their profligacy in front of goal after Wilson, Odubert and their on-loan Chelsea forward David Datro Fafana missed a hatful of chances to equalise when the game was poised at 2-1. So Liverpool won that game to return to the top of the league where they currently sit. Okay, following that was the 5.30 kickoff at the City ground between Nottingham Forest and Newcastle United. That ended 3-2 to Newcastle. Bruno Gimares, who many will view along with or alongside Alexander Isak to be Newcastle's best players and most saleable assets, bagged a brace as Newcastle finally exacted their revenge on a Nottingham Forest side who lost, who they lost to 3-1 just two months prior. His first goal was a tremendously clean, cleanly struck volley as he after he ghosted into the box, but that was quickly cancelled out by Anthony Elanga's composed and clinical strike after showing electric pace to get into that position. I knew Elanga was quick, but I didn't really realise he was that quick. He's lightning fast. Sebastian is certainly not sharing, and with his third goal in three games, Sebastian share that is, put Newcastle ahead only for Elanga's partner in crime, Callan hodgson Adoy, to equalise again in the first half at a time after a deflective strike, wrong-footed Newcastle goalkeeper Martin Dubravka, with the score at 2-2 going into half-time. In the 66th minute, Bruno Guimaraes successfully read and cut out an attempted through ball from Anthony Elanga and buried the ball beyond the despairing debutant home debutant Matt Sells. The Newcastle win sees them climb into 7th position, just 5 points off of Man United in 6th, 
with Nottingham Forest knowing that they're now potentially a loss or a draw away from dropping into the dreaded bottom three. Okay, another three o'clock kickoff was between Luton Town and Sheffield United. That ended 3-1 to Sheffield United. A shock coupon Boston result. Luton Town, for arguably the first time this season, took to the field as strong favourites against the Sheffield United side who have been rooted to the bottom of the table for the vast majority of the season and whose form has been growingly, growing exponentially worse by the week. Just the other week, they endured a 5-0 home drub into Aston Villa. With the Hatters rocking, racking up a, a series of corners, 13 to be precise, and over having over 75% of the possession, Rob Edwards will be ruined this result and could look back at it with regret come the end of the season. Gabriel Osho, who had been a consistently good performer this season and a mainstay in this Luton side, was torn to shreds by Cameron Archer, who displayed good pace and strength to put the blades ahead. A penalty apiece from both sides were converted by firstly James McAtee of Sheffield United and Carlton Morris of Luton Town to halve the deficit with the scores now 2-1 to Sheffield United. Luton huffed and puffed to find that elusive equaliser, but Blades forward Vinicius Souza killed off the game after finishing a deadly Blades counter-attack. Sheffield United remarkably, and against all odds, saw themselves become the first team this season to beat Luton away from home by more than a solitary goal, as it ended 3-1 and also saw them overtake Derby's 2008 points haul of 11 points. <clears throat> Can they do the unthinkable and stay up? Can they do the unthinkable and stay up? No. No, 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 they can't. Okay, right, Sunday's fixtures. Right, there was only two on Sunday, first of which was the early kickoff. Uh, the two o'clock kickoff at the London Stadium between West Ham United and Arsenal ended 6 0 to the Gunners. The key to this game was always going to be how quickly or whether or not Arsenal could open up West Ham defence to force West Ham to come out and play, which would leave space and gaps for the likes of Bakaya Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, and Leandro Trossard to exploit. Well, it took William Saliba just that. Um, after half an hour, he headed home from a Declan Rice corner kick. Declan Rice has been on corners since Arsenal returned from Dubai. Um, and he has racked up a few assists in that short space of time. A superb Trossard through ball forced a foul from Alphonse Ariola on Saka, resulting in a penalty being awarded. Saka had the opportunity to redeem himself after last season. <coughs> where the England forward missed a crucial penalty with the game at that stage 2-1 to Arsenal. Saka missed. Jared Bowen went up the other end and scored, and the rest is history, as they say. But this time, Saka's converted the penalty to make it 2-0 to Arsenal. And the game was seemingly over. Well... Certainly, it certainly was after Declan Rice fizzed in an inviting free kick straight into the corridor of uncertainty. 
a nightmare for goalkeepers to be headed in by Gabriel Magales. And yet, once it was 3-0, the game was over. Once Trossard added a fourth goal to make it 4-0 at halftime, it was pertinently clear that Arsenal meant business and once they smelt blood, they went in for the kill. Saka bagged the fifth to make it 5-0 before former Hammers captain capped off a captain's performance with a screamer for Arsenal's sixth and probably for me the goal of the game, just better in um, Trossard's goal for the third. His celebrations were muted out of respect for his former club and teammates. I feel that he's a rare breed and a modern throwback to the likes of Patrick Vieira, Roy Keane and Steven Gerrard with the ball with his ball winning ability and aggression as well as his quality on the ball. Late on in the match was even an opportunity for 16-year-old wonder kid Ethan Wanieri, not 17 till March, to make another appearance for the club and he looked impressive. Definitely Arsenal's best performance of the season and almost certainly their best performance under Mikel Arteta. Devastating. Okay, so the second of two matches on Sunday was at Villa Park. Probably the game of the weekend. Uh, Manchester United continued their concerted push towards the top four with a 2-1 win at Villa Park to slash the gap between the two sides to just five points. After another last gasp winner, which some may say was a smash and grab. But there's an art to winning games if you're not playing well. Something they used to do an awful lot under their great manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, back in the day. When United took the lead against the runoff play through their informed Dane, Rasmus Hoyland, who now has five goals in his last five games, scoring in every single game, Villa didn't relent. They kept playing their football and were rewarded for it when Douglas Luiz smashed home from close range after a chaotic pinball sequence took place inside the United box following a Villa corner kick. With the game evenly poised at 1-0 and up for grabs, Scott McTominay, whose strength and potency in the air, as well as his knack for late goals, reminds me of Maran Fellaini. Came off the bench to score a crucial winner four minutes from time to give United a vital win and kept them in the hunt for a top four place, especially after rivals Tottenham had also won. United lived to fight another day and with Luton tomorrow, Whereas, worryingly for Villa, they now have lost three home games on a spin in all competitions and go up against an informed Fulham side now at Craven Cottage. Okay, so Monday's game and the last fixture of the week, the jam-packed week, was at Selhurst Park. Um, in the week where Bob Marley's film One Love came out and two days before Valentine's, no love was lost between Chelsea and Palace fans and the only time would tell whether it was love or lost for Pochettino because the love had long been lost for Roy Hodgson. Feel free to rewind that. So, if that went over your head. Don't worry about a thing Cause every little thing's gonna be alright Chelsea rang out throughout the game. 
Chelsea were passive and pedestrian throughout the first half, trailed and understrength Palace side 1-0 after a stunning strike from their former from the former Bournemouth midfielder Jefferson Lerma put Palace 1-0 up. However, at half time with Christopher Nkunku or Kuku coming in on for the ineffective and inconsistent Noni Madweke, Chelsea improved significantly. It didn't take them long to equalise through Conor Gallagher, who alongside Cole Palmer has been Chelsea's most consistent player this season. Chelsea were made to wait until second half added time in which they came on strong and bagged two late goals through Conor Gallagher and Enzo Fernandez, capitalising on a ugh, capitalising on a Crystal Palace capitulation. That is a mouthful, that. They've become renowned for conceding late goals in gluts. That win for Chelsea was remarkably their 14th in a row against Crystal Palace in in all competitions, a run that spans over six years. I guess it's tradition now. Palace, who were missing key players like Ebere Eze, Michael Olise and Mark Guehi, a former Chelsea trainee, fielded some raw and uncooked youngsters like Adam Wharton, Daniel Monos, Munoz and... Matthias Francia, who showed glimpses of his talent, but gave the wall, gave the ball away a lot and was quite erratic. Okay, so that was the last of last week's fixtures. And to sum up last week, I'd say it was a unique in the sense of the amount of shock results that we had. From Brentford beating Wolves 2-0 at Molyneux, who themselves had just come off the back of an impressive win at Stamford Bridge the previous week. To Sheffield United pick on, picking up just their third win of the season at a Luton side who had just gone six, ga- six games unbeaten in all competitions and were perhaps expected to win that game comfortably. Add to that, last Sunday's results were shocked to a lesser extent with Arsenal beating a West Ham side they were winless against in three, 6-0 and Manchester United beating Aston Villa away from home to register what was their first away win against a top nine side in their 18th attempt. So of my predictions, didn't fare as well as in previous week. I got five out of ten with zero with zero correct results. But I'll take that considering a volume of unusual shock results that we had in that game week. Okay, finally into this week's this weekend's fixtures, starting off. At the GTEC Stadium in a game currently kicking off. I actually have no idea what the score is. Uh, Brentford buoyed by their brilliant win over Wolves. We'll see this as a match. We'll see this match as an opportunity and a free hit. They should have Congolese full forward Johan Visser back from international duty. With Cameroonian forward Brian Bremo still sidelined through injury. I'm expecting Neil Morpai, who is... Got three three goals in four games. No, Neil Morpai and three goals in four games striker Ivan Tony to lead the line for the Blues. And yeah, I checked the lineups. I believe both were starting with Vissa on the bench. Liverpool bounced back from their disappointing defeat to Arsenal with a routine victory over Burnley. Go into this banana skin of a match knowing that given Manchester City's current form, anything but a win will leave their title hopes in jeopardy. Jurgen Klopp's 
Jurgen Klopp hates early kickoffs, but has the likes of Mohamed Salah, Joe Gomez, Ibrahim Akanate back in contention. And Konate was in the starting lineup. Mohamed Salah and Joe Gomez were on the bench. Allison still out through injury. However, I think that Brentford could potentially catch Liverpool out cold, and I'm gonna pluck for I'm gonna go for a Brentford win. I think the front two of Brentford can cause Liverpool problems. And I'm gonna go for a 2-1 shock win for Brentford. Okay. The first of our three o'clock kickoffs sees Arsenal take on Burnley at Turf Moor. Burnley, who have one win in the last 11 games in all competitions, are probably coming up against an Arsenal side who are at the pinnacle of their game right now, especially given how the last few weeks have gone for them. They're currently four from four. Since returning from Dubai, Arsenal have racked up four consecutive league wins, scoring 16 goals in the process. So confidence will be sky high as the last two fixtures have no doubt been Arsenal's best performances of the season and under Arteta's tenure. So I simply cannot look beyond Arsenal winning this game comfortably and scoring at least three goals. So I'm going to go for a 3-0 win to Arsenal. Okay, in the next game we have Newcastle United against Bournemouth. I think this is going to be a good, a good game of football full of goals. Inform Newcastle, who have won three from four, scoring 12 goals in the process, look confident and full of goals right now. Whilst they're some way off the pace in terms of the Champions League positions, 10 points to be precise, if they harbour hopes of securing European football for next season, then they should be beating Bournemouth at home. A Bournemouth side that did win the previous match between these sides, however of recent, have found wins hard to come by, winless in their last five league games. Bournemouth won't go down, but the sooner they get the two or three wins they need to ensure their Premier League survival, the better, as it's dog-eat-dog down there beneath them, with every team below them likely to stick to start picking up points in the coming weeks. So I'm going to go for a 3-1 win to Newcastle, with the likes of England hopefuls Anthony Gordon, Callum Wilson and Dom Solanke getting themselves on the score sheet. Okay, this game is an interesting one between Fulham and Aston Villa. With Aston Villa's poor form getting worse by the week, things don't get any easier for the villains who have won just three of their last 10 games in all competitions. As they take on a Fulham side who have lost just once in their last five in all competitions, after dispatching of Bournemouth with consummate ease last week. With Rodrigo Munoz, or Muniz finally settling down at Craven Cottage after bagging three goals in the last two games, you wouldn't bet against him adding to that today. While Villa will probably be slight favourites amongst all the bookies, I think Fulham will edge them out and condemn Villa to their third successive defeat. So I've gone for a 2-0 win to Fulham. The game between Nottingham Forest and West Ham United <coughs> should be another interesting game. I think both sides really need to stop the rock. Both are in poor form. Forest, after a promising start to life under Nuno Espirito Sante, Santo, are now winless in five league games and are struggling for form. 
West Ham with manager David Moyes. Moyes' contract up at the end of the season will be looking for a response after their humiliating 6-0 defeat at home to Arsenal. That being said, there's still a lot to play for for West Ham. They're still in the Europa League and can still challenge for a top 6-7 position in the league, which will be considered a very good achievement given the teams that they're competing with, such as Manchester United, Chelsea, Aston Villa and Newcastle United are probably better than them. Or certainly have better squads than them, for sure. Nottingham Forest always seem to be on the wrong end of a topsy-turvy 3-2 game. Um, we'll be looking to win to move away from the drop zone. But I don't think they'll get one here. After last week's aberration against Arsenal, there's no way that David Moyes will allow his side to open up and take risks. And I think, as a result, it will be a stalemate a stalemate with a back-to-basics approach to this game. So with both sides lacking confidence, I think this one's going to be a low-scoring draw. 1-1. Okay, the game between Tottenham Hotspur and Wolverhampton Wanderers, I think it's going to be a good game. With a full-strength Spurs side looking to register their sixth consecutive home league win, they'll be wary of the threats that Wolves pose, especially with their front three likely to be three from four of Pedro Neto, Pablo Sarabia, Mateus Cunha and Huang Hishang, who will probably start from the bench in this one. Spurs, who have been hard to beat of recent, only losing once in their last seven games, and that was to Manchester City with a late goal. I expect a full-strength Spurs side spearheaded by the likes of James Madison and Hongmin Song to have too much for Wolves. So I'm going for a 3-1 win to Tottenham. Okay, following that, we have the game between Manchester City and Chelsea, which is a 5.30 kickoff. Um, this season for Chelsea, it seems to be a tale of one step forward and two steps back. Um, a good run of form, which saw them rack up five wins from seven in all competitions, came to an abrupt, an abrupt halt at Anfield against their Carabao Cup final opponents, second place Liverpool. They then lost to Wolves at home, 4-2. So they conceded eight goals in two games, which is a shambles. You would have been forgiven for thinking that Maurizio Pochettino's job was on the line at that stage. Chelsea then probably produced their best performance of the season in a 4-4 draw against City at Stamford Bridge earlier on in the season. But with City on the back of an 11-game winning streak, they know that two home wins in the next three days will put them top of the league, having played the same amount of games as fellow title challengers Liverpool and Arsenal, who they face, who they face in March. City, who have lost to Chelsea in City, who haven't lost to Chelsea in three years, have. Erling Haaland back and Kevin De Bruyne seemingly on top form. So I can't look beyond a resoundingly comprehensive 3-0 home win to City. So I've gone for a 3-0 to Man City. Okay, the game between Sheffield United and Brighton is an interesting one. With the Blades seven points adrift of safety and seemingly doomed to relegation, I admire the resilience of Chris Rowder's side for responding to the appalling 5-0 home defeat to Aston Villa with an impressive win over Luton the following week. 
the pressure was completely off them in that game and all on Luton to win that, which enabled them to play with a freedom and attempt things that they perhaps wouldn't have if the pressure was on. Brighton predictably lost at Spurs last week, predictably looked aesthetically pleasing and easy on the eye and had a lot of the ball, predictably. But with the, with the Seagulls currently in ninth, you could argue that's probably where, they, where they're where they going to finish, 8th, ninth, 10th at the end of the season. They're still in two competitions, so you couldn't really have asked much for them. They're still in the FA Cup and the Europa League. This makes for an intriguing game, a clash of styles. Sheffield United will sit in a low block while Brighton will dominate all the key stats, i.e. corner, shots on and off target, possession and so on. So it's a question as to whether or not Brighton make that count. When these two played at Bramall Lane in the FA Cup last match, in the last match, last month, it ended 5-2 to Brighton. And whilst I don't think it will be 5-2 this time, I do think Brighton will emerge victorious again. So I'm going for a 3-1 Brighton away win. So tomorrow we have an interesting game between Luton Town and Manchester United. Luton will be disappointed with their performance last week against Sheffield United, which saw their six-game unbeaten run come to an abrupt halt. It was also the first time all season that they had lost at home by more than one goal, as they're always competitive as a bare minimum at Kenilworth Road. Especially considering the run of form that they were on. So it's a non-negotiable it's a non-negotiable that Rob Edwards' side are competitive. Um Manchester United, on the other hand, have been grinding their way to hard fought victories with four wins on the bounce in all competitions. United will know all too well how hard of a not Luton are to crack, as they were made to work hard in the 1-0 win at Old Trafford earlier on in the season, in a game they dominated but struggled to score in. I think this will be a similarly tight game in which chances will be at a premium, but I think Manchester United will come out on top with a hard-fought 2-0 away win. Right, for the last game of the week, which is on a Monday, Monday Night Football, we have a relegation six-pointer between Everton, who currently occupy the last relegation spot in 18th place against Crystal Palace. In recent weeks, I've said on many occasions that Everton would be happy with a point due to, dif to, due to the difficulty of the opposition that they had been facing. Poor form and then playing away from home for most of those games. But this game is definitely a must-win or you could argue an even more so a must-not-lose game. With the gap between these two sides currently at five points, Everton know a win will drag them out of the bottom three, provided that Luton or Nottingham Forest don't win. With the home side winless in their last seven games and away side's solitary win in their last six games coming up against rock bottom Sheffield United, it probably screams a draw. Confidence will be critically low for both sides, so whoever gets the first goal in this one could emerge victorious. That being said, with Palace's current injury crisis, I simply cannot see them getting anything out of this one. Even if they do score first, 
like they did on Monday against Chelsea, let alone a win. Roy Hodgson's days appear to be numbered. My prediction is 2-1 to Everton. And actually, I've added in a bonus game, which is the game week 18 game match between Manchester City and Brentford. So Man City's game in hand, which is on Tuesday. Manchester City have won 11 on the spin and it sees them pitted up against Brentford, a side who did the double over them last season. But on the other hand, a side they dispatched of just 12 days ago. City will want to go into March with maximum points as they face arch-rivals Manchester United, followed by Liverpool at Anfield, their bogey ground, then Brighton away and then Arsenal at home, not to mention Aston Villa in early April. So those five games back-to-back -back will be so difficult for Manchester City, so they're going to want that. They're going to want to attain maximum points going into that run of fixtures. You just feel that if City can successfully navigate those matches, the title is theirs to lose. Brentford, on the other hand, who play Liverpool as we speak, will see this game as a free hit. And at the very least, will give City's uh, bloody nose. But I don't think it'll be enough to stop them picking up three points. So I've gone for a 3-1 win to Manchester City in that game. So yeah, a lot of matches this week. We also have midweek fixtures next week. So I will be back on Tuesday. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. And see you on Wednesday even. Bow!